Hello, and welcome to episode 33 of Strange Sound. I'm Joe. Glad to have you here with us, which is to say with me, because as I've mentioned many times before, Strange Sound is just me. It's no one else. Just me. The opinions expressed here are those of me. (laughs) They are my opinions. Um... Uh, I, as I've said before, the ideas expressed here um, are often borrowed from other people, but <laughs> my opinions, as I express them, are mine alone. They don't represent the opinions of anyone else, um, either a friend or foe. Certainly not foe. Who cares what foe thinks? Anyway, uh, glad to be with you um, in another uh, quite amazing week in American history, recent American history. I don't want to suggest that this era is unique in any, you know, um, timeless way. Um, certainly, these are unique times in recent history and uh, pretty unnerving. Um, there are some aspects of the Trump administration that are uniquely dangerous, threatening, um, potentially autocratic. Um, autocratic behavior is the best way to describe what Trump, how Trump conducts himself. Um, in other words, he is the type of leader that says something, says uh, crazy shit, as his uh, son is um, said to have commented <laughs> in recent weeks, Um He's doing crazy shit. He's saying crazy shit. And his administration bends heaven and earth, tries to bend reality to fit what the autocrat is saying. And this is a very this is very autocratic behavior. Um I'm not an expert on autocrats. I'm not an expert on fascism. You know, there are other people that can uh, comment on that obviously. And anyway, uh he's a uniquely um, dangerous individual to be president of the United States, as I've mentioned before, because of the power of that office. And we're seeing um, we're seeing the fallout from that. Um, as a lot of people observed when the news broke that he became ill with COVID nineteen uh, a couple of three weeks ago, and was admitted to. Walter Reed Hospital for treatment. Um, a number of commentators had opined that he there was a good chance that he would be fine and that he would come out and essentially say, well, there's nothing to this COVID thing. Um, and I know that I had 
you know, thought of that as a possibility. Obviously, there are a lot of possibilities when somebody catches COVID. They might be fine. They might be dead. They might be anything in between. Um, it's in a very un- unpredictable disease. It's a serious disease. And uh, again, we are up to almost 220,000 deaths that are officially recorded. There are probably quite a few more than that. Um, and a lot of people, again, uh, not a subject discussed very much, but a lot of people whose health has been impacted severely by this disease, even if they walked out of it alive or rolled out of it alive. Um, they've got health effects that will be felt for uh, perhaps the rest of their lives, or at least for some time to come. It's really hard to know uh, because this is, in fact, as the name suggests, a novel coronavirus. We don't really know what to expect. We don't know what the long-term health impacts are. Again, I'm repeating myself, but this is something that I think is worth repeating. And what we have in the White House right now is a president who has had the disease, probably still has the disease. Um, We don't know what his test results are. They are now saying that he's tested negative, but we don't know what that means because we don't know what kind of testing he's he's getting. Um, We have to take their word for it, obviously. But he is now engaging in his normal campaign routine of having large in-person events in swing states. And this includes some very large gatherings of multiple thousands of people. The other day he was down in Florida and he did two events. One was an outdoor event that had thousands of people. One was an indoor event that had mostly seniors. And they were packed in, you know, cheek by jowl, packed in like sardines, whatever metaphor you want to use. They were all in there breathing the same air, sitting in the same space, not very well spaced out at all, certainly not six feet apart. Some people had masks, a lot of people didn't. And the President of the United States was in the room, along with everyone that he brings with him, and God knows how many of them have COVID. And, you know, again, these are particularly vulnerable people. But they came there to see their president. Because the president himself has been going around saying, essentially, I'm cured. What they did to me in Walter Reed, um, suggesting that that's available to everyone. What they did to me, those teams of scientists that were working on me, they cured me of COVID-19. And so he's running around the country having these massive rallies that are essentially super spreader events. Potentially. Potential super spreader events. In fact, um, I think it was, was it in Florida? I'm not sure. One of the states that he visited might have been Wisconsin, might have been been Michigan, might have been Florida. Um, Some group had taken out, uh, (laughs) had bought some billboards that, um, that read Trump's super spreader event this way <laughs> and had an arrow pointing to wherever the venue was. <laughs> so I, you know, in essence, this is true, right? You've got thousands of people packed in just like they were in 2016 
you know, coming to see their Führer and, uh, and just sharing, you know, whatever virus they may have. Um, particularly in states like Florida, where there is no restriction on large events anymore. And this is part and parcel of the sort of broader strategy that the president has been advancing, um, that his, um, that his administration has been advancing. Um, it's basically an official policy of encouraging, um, herd immunity as a strategy for combating the COVID virus. And quite honestly, that's not a strategy for combating anything. That's just saying, well, we're going to let people catch it and, <laughs> and we're, we're going to let them build. We're going to hope that that build up builds up immunity in the people who survive. I mean, the way they couch it is that they want younger people to be able to go out and, and mingle and do whatever it is they want to do without restriction um, or without any kind of meaningful restriction. And if they get sick, that's fine because it won't hurt them. Because what you know, Trump and his minions are saying is that young people are fine. They can catch COVID and they'll be fine. You don't have to worry about them. Very few of them have died. Um, <laughs> what they don't seem to um, credit is the idea that these young people tend to have relationships with older people like their parents and their grandparents and perhaps even their great-grandparents and their aunts and uncles and people who are in what even they would consider to be more vulnerable populations, people with comorbidities. Uh, people who are older, um, people who have compromised immune systems. And really, you don't even need to have those obvious comorbidities for this to be a dangerous disease for you to catch. Particularly if you're an older person. Being an older person is a pre-existing condition with regard to this, this virus. And the president is not only not taking this seriously, but now he's rampaging around the country, acting like the Incredible Hulk, because he survived this. And he's going around saying how strong he feels. And he's like, let me at him. Posturing in front of his crowds and just soaking in the adoration. He sounds terrible at times. At other times, he sounds roided up. Um, you know, he's had the best care. He's had absolutely the best care. He's had better care than anybody on the outside is going to have. Anybody in his audience is going to have far better. He's had dozens of doctors working on him. He's had all of the best treatments. He's had all of the most expensive care that you can get. And, uh, yeah, you know, so he pulled through. As far as we can see, he seems like he's fine. Just like a lot of us said before. And, you know, great bully for him. Uh, same can't be said for the 220,000 dead. Or the probably hundreds of thousands of other people who are, you know, permanently affected by this virus. That he's minimizing. And that he is helping to spread through these in-person events. And it's not only him, it's his campaign. 
his campaign is behaving like there is no COVID virus. There's no coronavirus for these people. They are canvassing door-to-door down in Florida, in droves. They're working as hard as they can, you know, in person to get out the vote, in essence. They're visiting their voters face-to-face. They're going from door-to-door, and they're acting like there is no COVID. And, of course, the people that they're whose whose doors they're knocking on are going to tend to be Republicans because at this point, you're really just trying to motivate the people that you know are likely to vote for you. This is very late in the game. The Democrats are not doing this. They're phone banking. You know, they're dropping a lot of money into advertising, but they're not going door to door. Um, And (laughs) this is, you know, look, This does give them a bit of an advantage, but it also makes them super spreader incorporated, basically. You know, they're going from door to door. God knows what they're spreading. God knows what kind of an effect they're having just by doing that. So it's pretty remarkable to sit here and watch this campaign actively spreading this virus. I'm not suggesting that it's intentional, but just through their complete irresponsibility. They're creating opportunities for for thousands of people to catch this virus who might otherwise not have done so. Now, and again, I'm sure there's people out there listening to this podcast who are going to say, well, you know, uh, Trump supporters, they probably don't believe that COVID is anything other than a hoax. They probably, a lot of them don't believe in the coronavirus. They think that it's it's some kind of like control thing that the Democrats are, you know, imposing on the rest of us so that they can take away our freedoms and then tax us to death. Texas. Um, and, you know, I, that, that may be true for some of them, but that doesn't mean they deserve to die. Um, and it's irresponsible for any campaign to take advantage of people who have been duped by this president into thinking that this is nothing to worry about. Or at least, if it is something to worry about, that it doesn't rise to the level of um, worrying about the economy or worrying about you know having society shut down to the extent that it might need to in order to get this virus under control. They're trying to make it so that people are more afraid of that than they are afraid of the virus that they're more wary of that than they are wary of the of the virus and that is extremely irresponsible. I just want to be clear, you know, if if the official policy of this administration is based on, you know, what Dr. Atlas has been saying, the guy who's like whatever, he's a radiologist or something, doesn't know anything about epidemiology. I mean, I'm not an epidemiologist, but neither is he. And he's advocating for He and others are advocating for herd immunity. (laughs) As the World Health Organization has helpfully pointed out, um, herd immunity is not arrived at through letting everyone catch the virus. Herd immunity typically is, is arrived at through vaccination. And in fact, that's the context in which I've heard herd immunity discussed in, in previous years where, you know, in the context of of discussions about anti-vaxxers, uh, 
and how people refusing to get their children vaccinated are undermining herd immunity. Herd immunity as as promoted through vaccination, not through everybody catching the measles, not through everybody catching the mumps, not through everybody catching rubella. That's not how it's supposed to work. The idea is to prevent people from catching it by inoculating them. I mean, you don't build up herd immunity by getting everybody sick first, which is, you know, what's laughable is that they they actually admit to how how dangerous that situation would be when they're criticizing the other side. So like when Pence, a couple of weeks ago, when he was uh, debating Kamala Harris, uh, brought up the swine flu and was saying, you know, if the swine flu had been as deadly as the coronavirus, um, then there would have been 2 million dead Americans or 6 million dead Americans or something like that. Right, because <laughs> if it was allowed to spread like you want COVID to spread, then everybody would have gotten it and uh, the whole herd immunity <laughs> fallacy would have fallen to the ground, right? Um, of course, his argument is is something like saying, yeah, if, uh, I don't know, if George Washington had been invisible and had a robot friend, you know, then things would have been very different. Um, yes, that's true, but that wasn't the case. Uh, people knew how deadly... And how dangerous swine flu was. <laughs> I mean, that's part of the reason why I'm sure the reaction was what it was. But <laughs> not to get into the the uh, deliberate fallacies that uh, Toehead, or I should say Flyhead, uh, Mike Pence got into a couple of weeks ago. Um, their notion of herd immunity is just it's insane and it seems like they've taken it to heart just on the basis of what they're doing they're gallivanting around the country having massive massive public events where people are are taking very few precautions and and they just don't seem to care I don't think it's a question of seeming to care. I think they really just don't care. Because if you think about it, if people get infected at these events, if if these end up being super spreader events, you know, as the virus passes from person to person, the true impact of those events is not going to be felt until after the voting is over. Because election day is just a few weeks away. And they're kind of rushing around trying to get people to, you know, get riled up and go out and vote early. And, you know, then you're free to get sick as sick as you like. It's a pretty cynical strategy. And who knows? It might just work if they get more of their people out to vote than we do. We'll have to see. God only knows. This is just insane. There were, um, in the, in the place of the, um, second presidential debate, there were dueling town halls this past week. Um, I saw a little bit of it. I was a little taken aback by the fact that, um, NBC was hosting the Trump event, the Trump town hall 
in Florida. I don't know if any of you saw this. I saw pieces of it. I couldn't stand to watch the whole thing, frankly, because the man is just loathsome to me. But, (laughs) you know, and I choose not to watch him that much. But he was was in this sort of open town hall forum um, hosted by Savannah Guthrie. Um, The whole time there were, um, he must have had supporters behind him because there was this one woman that was, sort of out of focus. I mean, they were focusing on the president, obviously, and the people behind him were a little out of focus, but this woman behind him was like nodding the whole time. Every time he said anything, she'd nod. Or if he shot anything down, she'd shake her head. You know, it was like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that was stage managed or whatever, but it was very annoying. And, you know, he was like spouting a bunch of bullshit as usual. Um, one of the things he said was <laughs> that some study established that 80% or 78% of the people who wear masks get COVID. Um, you know, he's pulling this out of his ass, but it is based on some um, self-reported, I think, study of, of a limited number of medical professionals, I think they are, or academics who... Uh, you know, who had um, contracted COVID and they they asked them whether they were wearing masks and, and something like 80% of them had said they had worn masks, masks part of the time or, or all of the time previous to their getting infected. And he took that and extrapolated that to mean that 80% of the people who wear masks get COVID. Which is which is a bit like saying there were thousands of ballots found discarded in Philadelphia. Thousands of them. I mean, there were eight or nine. <laughs> he turned it into thousands. I mean, the man is just a he's just a fountain of lies. It's it's just it's like lies spurting from a fire hose and he was on fire that night he was just totally on fire he's like firing away blam 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 blah 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 and it was probably a certain amount of it was steroid driven so that was one of the that was one of the standout lies was the thing about 80 percent of people (laughs) wearing wearing masks uh contract covid that's Obviously not true, um, but uh, and, and you know the other notable things was that he basically admitted that he does owe four hundred million dollars to somebody. He didn't say whom. He did suggest that they would let people know who it was, but we still don't have any idea who that might be. I think there was some suggestion too. I didn't watch the whole thing, but I heard some of the follow up on it, and I believe he suggested that some of his debt may be foreign held. Um, We'll see about that, but I mean, he 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 had every opportunity to say, "Oh well, that that New York Times article uh, was total bullshit. Um, that that media report was total bullshit." Um, we I don't owe four hundred million dollars to anybody. He also didn't exactly deny that he paid seven hundred and fifty dollars in taxes in twenty eighteen. I think it was they said. Um, he didn't exactly swap that away either. 
He said it was mischaracterized. So, I mean, to my mind, that says, oh, okay, well, so you did pay $750. (laughs) I mean, it it just can't even make it up. The man is just, it doesn't matter what he says. And, of course, there was a certain amount of, you know, obviously Savannah Guthrie was trying to give him a hard time when she, you know, did give her some credit you know she did ask some harder questions but also sort of let things sail you know i mean when when the man says that antifa is an organization and it's going around killing people and setting setting cities on fire that's ridiculous that's ridiculous I mean, he's been going around bragging about how U.S. Marshals shot that one guy who identified himself as Antifa, who had who had uh, previously allegedly shot um, one of the president's right-wing supporters, maybe a proud boy or something. And uh, instead of arresting him, they shot him. And the president's been going around bragging about that. Uh, but no... Uh, he spouted that bit about Antifa once again, insisting that it's an organization, insisting that it's like a card-carrying organization. What? No, I don't think so. I don't actually think so, Mr. President. It's a movement, jackass. Anyway, one thing uh, that he said in his virtual town hall uh, it wasn't really a virtual town hall. It was kind of like an actual town hall. Um, it was in Florida, of course, so such things are not barred. Um, was that he repeated the lie that he was going to repeal Obamacare and replace it with something awesome. Something that's better than Obamacare. Something that's that's cheaper than Obamacare. That's going to be more affordable than the Affordable Care Act. It's going to be the greatest thing ever. It's the same thing he was saying in 2016. He was saying it again. Insisting that that's his intention, even though they did not do that. Right? The president doesn't have a plan. For one thing, the way he talks about it, he makes it sound like Obamacare is like a plan itself. It's not a plan. It's a framework. (laughs) It's a framework for plans, right? (laughs) It's not a plan. It defines what a plan can be and what a plan can't be. That's That's the patient protection portion of the act, right? Now, it's not entirely true that the Republicans didn't come up with something to replace Obamacare, so to speak, with. Um, They, in fact, did in 2017, and they very nearly got it across. Um, It was the, um, the legislation was called the American Healthcare Act. It uh, it passed the House. Um, the the version that that came to the Senate 
um, didn't make it. Um, but it was basically, um, it basically eviscerated the, the Affordable Care Act. So we do have something on record. And, and again, this is, the important thing to bear in mind here is that the president doesn't want to go on record as saying that he supports Plan X because then you can look at Plan X and you can criticize it. He just, he wants to limit it to just a lot of hand-waving and a lot of, this is going to be great and it's going to be cheaper and it's going to be better and it's going to cover more people and blah, blah, blah. And it's going to protect people with pre-existing conditions and blah, 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 blah. But never commit himself to a plan because once you do that, people can shoot holes in it. So the closest thing we have to a Republican um, slash Trump plan was what they tried to pass in 2017. And what they tried to pass in 2017 involved a, a massive rollback of a lot of the protections in the Affordable Care Act. They were going to roll back the regulatory restrictions on what a health care plan could be. They were going to drastically reduce subsidies for Americans just over the poverty poverty line. Um, they were going to perhaps increase subsidies slightly for younger people, but these are younger people with very few health problems. So healthy young adults might have gotten a bit more money. But people just over the poverty line, which is the group that's that's benefited most from the ACA's um, subsidies, uh, those people were going to get rolled back. And they would be expected to pay more. They were also going to allow insurance companies to charge older Americans more. So if you were 64, you might pay, you know, five times the price that an 18-year-old would, would pay. It was just... Um, they were implementing changes to the subsidy formulas. And um, I'm just going to read a little bit from a New York Times article from 2017 uh, that's sort of a sum up of what um, this um, American Healthcare Act um, was offering people. <laughs> so I'm going to read one graph from this. This is about pre-existing health conditions. Now, mind you, this is the plan that the Republicans in the House of Representatives passed with the support of Claudia Tenney, who was our congressperson here in New York's 22nd District, um, uh, the seat that's now held by Anthony Brindisi. Uh, Claudia is running against Brindisi again this year um, to be returned. She's trying to be returned to... Uh, to her former seat, but this is this is what the bill did for people with pre-existing health conditions, particularly in some states. So it it loosened the regulatory framework that would require all states to sort of um, meet certain standards for health coverage. So the bill allowed states to waive rules on minimum benefit standards and rules that prohibit insurance companies from charging higher prices to customers with a history of serious illness or even minor diseases. 
I'm quoting now, and it could mean their insurance covers fewer medical services. The benefit changes could also affect Medicaid beneficiaries, and they could also mean cutbacks on coverage for mental health and drug addiction treatment. States that waive the rule about prices would be required to set up a program for high-risk customers, and that would get some federal funding to do so, but the details are unclear. See, this is this is what Paul Ryan was talking about back in 2017. Paul Ryan was talking about this sort of high-risk pool that he wanted to set up. This is when he would roll up his sleeves and, you know, stand in front of a chart and point out this pie chart that had like a little sliver and say, you know, most of the expense goes to this little sliver here. Most of the most of the cost is taken up by these people who reside in this little sliver. Now, I'm going to give Paul Ryan the benefit of the doubt that he understands how insurance works. And I think I've spoken to this in previous episodes. But I just want to repeat it briefly here because this is what this particular provision of this bill that was passed by the House GOP in 2017 represents. And this, and mind you, this is the only tangible example of what the GOP would replace Obamacare with. When he made that statement, I'm assuming Ryan knew what insurance was and how insurance works. Yes, it's based on actuarial science that says not everyone is going to get sick all at the same time. It's going to be a relatively small number of people who are going to need the resources at any given time. But the people who fall into that category are not always going to be the same people. Everyone eventually cycles into that category. If you live long enough, you're going to be one of those people in that little sliver in the pie chart. Right? So this piece of legislation that Claudia Tenney and the president supported would allow states to waive the rule about pricing and would be required to set up a program for high-risk customers, essentially a high-risk pool, and would get some federal funding to do so, but the details are unclear. Really, what what they would have done would be be to probably block grant it. So there would be a limited number, there would be a limited amount of, of funds available, and that would mean that people would basically get cut short. That was a significant change and a significant rollback. The bill was going to cut back substantially on federal funding for state Medicaid programs. And over time, the changes were likely to shift an increasing share of Medicaid costs onto states. This is once again quoting from that New York Times article. Uh, I will try to include a link to this uh, in the show notes just for your reference. I mean, the CBO at the time had estimated that 24 million people would probably lose their health insurance over the course of a decade because of this plan. Um, A lot of those people, when they had medical emergencies, would go straight to the hospital. Because um, Obamacare had made substantial cuts in how Medicare pays hospitals, and again, I'm I'm paraphrasing this, this article, on the theory that they would make up the difference with more paying customers. Uh, the Republican bill does not did not restore any of the Medicare cuts. So in other words, when the ACA was set up, the assumption was that, well, more people would be would have health insurance. So when they went to the hospital, they would be able to pay their bills. So you wouldn't need to send money to the hospitals through Medicaid to uh, support people who couldn't afford to pay because they, they would be taken up by Medicaid. 
This program would result in tens of millions of people being thrown off of their health care or, or just losing their coverage or, or not gaining coverage as was planned by, by the ACA. So when they get sick, they go to the hospital. The thing is, they did not provide for increased money for Medicaid. They did not restore the money that was taken away from Medicaid in anticipation of more people having health coverage. You follow me? So that was that that would be a disaster for people on the on the low end of the income scale. And of course there were planned parenthood cuts uh specifically targeting planned parenthood. Reproductive care was was being targeted. This this piece of legislation was a disaster. It was a total disaster. And it very nearly passed. This is the sort of thing that they're talking about. This is the sort of thing that the president is talking about, even though uh, he may not even know that that's what he's talking about. That's what he's talking about when he says, we're going to replace it with something better. It's not better. It's worse. So when you hear him talking about this great health coverage that he's going to offer, <laughs> hold on to your wallet, folks. As incomplete and insufficient as Obamacare is, it is better than having nothing. It is better than what they are offering, which I try to provide a link to some of these articles so that you can see what I'm talking about. We have to talk about things that are concrete. We can't compare Obamacare to a bunch of hand-waving, right? We have to compare it to what they're actually going to replace it with. And what they tried to replace it with was something that didn't even begin to rise to the same level as Obamacare, that would have undermined everything that was accomplished by implementing Obamacare, even though Obamacare didn't go nearly far enough. And I think everyone acknowledges that. It was necessary but insufficient. The changes that it made were necessary but insufficient. Desperately insufficient. Nonetheless, it's better than what they threatened to replace it with. So bear that in mind as you hear the promises being made by people like Donald Trump and by people like Claudia Tenney, who once again is trying to get her seat back in the 22nd district here in New York State. And we have to do what we can to keep her from doing that. Just remember, she's Trump-kissed. <laughs> There's something about her that's just Trump-kissed. No. <clears throat> Once you get kissed by Trump, you stay kissed. That's all I can say. He was threatening to kiss an entire audience full of people the other day. That was kind of nasty. Wants to be even more of a super spreader. Anyway, that's all I got to say for this week. I'd like to know what you have to say. You can leave a one-minute voicemail by visiting anchor.fm slash strange sound and following the voicemail link. Um, I should probably include it in I should probably include a link to the voicemail machine in the show notes. Um, I've done it previously, I'll do it again. Um, you can also learn more about us or connect with us in some way by following the links on that anchor.fm slash strange sound site to our social media properties. We're 
on Twitter at Strange Sound Pod. We're also on Facebook. Just find the Facebook link at anchor.fm slash strange sound. You can also find out more about us by going to big-green.net and following the podcast link. Um, just click on the podcast tab and it'll drop you down to where you will find an image link for Strange Sound as well as to some of our other uh, slightly more ridiculous podcasts and uh, blogs and things like that. So, um, please, let me know what you think. Push back. Let's turn this into a conversation. I want to thank you for listening. I know some people are listening out there. Um, Be well. Take good care. And I'll talk to you next week.